You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. And I want to call this message Lessons of a Leper. Lessons we learn from a leper. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man, and his master, the honorable, and his, with his master, I'm sorry, and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Wow, this dude's got some credentials. He was a great man with his master, honorable, was a great guy of deliverance, great powerful leader of deliverance. The Lord had given him deliverance unto Syria. Mighty man of valor, that means he'll whip you right now. He don't have to think about it, he don't have to get ready for the fight, he's got a fight and he's in it. Look at those last five words of that, that, that uh, verse though. But he was a leper. That means he had a weakness. That means he had a condition that kept him from being all he could have been. Imagine the greatness of this man, but he was a leper. What that meant was very few people could touch him. He could win a battle, but hardly anybody could con congratulate him because if they congratulated him, they might contract his disease. Lepers were outcasts. He was a man of valor. He was a great man, but he was a leper. Wow. We're going to learn some lessons from the leper today. Learn some lessons. Sometimes I found that I learned my best lessons from people that seem to be the least. Years ago, we had a worship leader who had two little girls. Her youngest daughter was named Juliet. And I've got a habit of quoting Shakespeare because I like to. I'm country as turnip greens, but I like, to know, I like for people to know I've been to town <laughs> twice. Went to actually three times. I went to two hog callings and a county fair. <laughs> I won't count the fiddling contest, but I've been to town. And this little girl, I'd get her up in my lap when she's a little bitty, and I'd say, Hark, what light through yonder window breaks. Tis the east, and Juliet is the sun. And she would lay her little head on my mouth, just listening to me talk. Well, time went by. She got up to be about four or five years old, and we were at a big family gathering. She and her family were all there, and we were having a fish fry, and she comes up, and I would always give her money, too. <laughs> she came up, and she's leaning on my armchair like this, you know, with her feet in the air, kind of balancing herself like that on the arm. And my, there's several, several men sitting around in the room, you know, watching, trying to watch football, and she's up there in my face kind of. I knew she wanted money, but instead, I quoted Shakespeare. I said, Hark, what light through yonder window breaks, tis the east, and Juliet is the sun. I said, what do you think of that? She said, awkward. 
There's a time to say things and there's a time not to say things. <laughs> but one of the things we find out in the lessons to the leper, lessons of the leper, is that the strongest and the best still have needs. Your boss, your senator, your mayor, your president, your teacher, your doctor, your attorney, they all have needs. All those people that you consider to be great and that, from whom you would receive advice, these people all have needs. Miss Ann doesn't have any needs, but other than her, everybody else has needs. <laughs> no, everybody has needs. Even the people that you look to for leadership. I learned this the hard way. The, the, the man of God that brought me up was a wonderful man. He had great revelation, but he was not perfect. And when I found out he was not perfect, well, I'll tell you what started it. He had eight children. And then my, my, mom, my mama taught me how children are made. And I could not get that image of my pastor, and that bothered me for a long time. Uh, he, he, no, 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 I just, no. <laughs> Great people are just people too. Great people are just people too. I mean, well, how great was Mickey Mantle? I mean, the, hit the longest long ball in the history of baseball. I think the ball's still traveling somewhere out there. Hit the ball so hard. But he wound up alcoholic and messed up with his life. I don't mean to put him down. I'm just saying he just had needs. Jim Thorpe, the greatest, the greatest athlete in the history of the world for the last century at least. From right up here, right north of us up here a little ways, off that uh, reservation up there. What's it called? The Sack and Fox Reservation. Prague, I think, is the town. Prague? How do you pronounce it? Prague, Prague here, I thought so. Yeah. You little Indian boy. With a great, great body for athletics. Been in there, been anybody like him. Won 15 events in the Olympics. Won the pentathlon and the decathlon in the same Olympics. It's never happened since, never happened before. It's a, it was just incredible. Set world records of all kinds. Hey, he was a, phenomenal. I mean, in a, in a generation where Michael Jordan appeared, Muhammad Ali appeared, Wayne Gretzky appeared, all these great notable Outstanding athletes, the great one they called them all. Jim Thorpe gets elected the greatest athlete in the, of the 20th century. Why? Because he was great in one way. Because apparently he had needs. He died, broke, sick, alcoholic. I've pastored a lot of PhDs, a number of PhDs. Attorneys, doctors, people of high degree, people with political office, in political office. And I found they've got the same needs everybody else does. Have you all noticed this in life? I've noticed this in life. We're going to have an election next year, and we think we're going to be better off. We really think we're going to be better off. And we would be if we didn't have to elect a human. Good work, Pastor. The only way you can be sure you're better off is if you get a human. 
If you, if you get something superhuman, something other than human, but, but as long as we're electing humans with different titles, they're all the same. They all have needs, some of them huge needs. How many of you in the room have needs? Okay. I may not be the right preacher, but this is the right message, praise God. Gordon Lindsay tried to speak to Gordon Lindsay. There are three guys in the healing evangelist movement of 50 years ago, 65 years ago. A healing revival broke out in 1948, and it lasted all through the 50s and into the 60s. And great ministries like that you've, that you've heard of started. Kenneth E. Hagan started his ministry during that time. Uh, Gordon Lindsay, the founder of Christ for the Nations, started his ministry during that time. Uh, Oral Roberts started his ministry during that time. It was a wonderful time of, of revival in America. And great, great miracles broke out everywhere. But only three of them seemed to live long enough to tell anything about it. Gordon Lindsay, who, who, who lived to be 67 years old. Kenneth E. Hagan, who lived to be 86 years old. And then Oral Roberts, who just recently passed away a few years ago, it was about, I don't know, 150 or something like that. He was old. <laughs> Oral lived a long, I don't remember how old he was. But the, what separated those three men, really, from the rest of them who died in their 40s and 50s, most of them, was because they got a hold of the message of faith. They understood that they had needs of their own. The others would not, would not listen to it. They thought they were just going to be able to just live on and on and on because this miracle power flowed through them. What they didn't realize was that just because the miracle power flowed through them did not mean it was touching them physically. It doesn't mean it's touching you physically just because you have power flow through you. Just because a prophet shows up in town. And we've had prophets come through here because we love prophetic ministry. We have, we have several prophets that we're in, in relationship with. And they come through here. But it doesn't mean they don't have problems. It doesn't mean that every prophetic word that flows through them is a word of correction for their lives. It's not. Right. Just God just uses human vessels yeah. to get His miracle power through people and to people. Are you hearing me? Amen. The reason those three guys didn't die young is because they got a hold of the message of faith. They realized they had to build their own faith for their own health. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to build your own faith for your own health at some point. Miss Ann learned, Miss Ann prays for people and wonderful miracles happen. We have so many wonderful testimonies through the years of her, her laying hands on people and God using her to heal the sick. It's really remarkable. I could tell you story after story after story through the years. However, uh, however, uh, there comes a time where you, you receiving prayer for a miracle is a wonderful thing, but there comes a time where you have to grow up and get your own miracles. Amen. So that's my job then to teach you faith. How many of you are thankful, thankful for the mercy of God that helps you out in miracles when you don't have faith to, 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 to do it? I, I'm, I'm thankful for that, but I would be irresponsible, and we in leadership would be irresponsible if we didn't teach you how to get your own miracles and walk by faith. Glory to God. Because you may not always be able to get a hold of Miss Ann. Sometimes I can't get a hold of her because y'all are talking to her all the time. Can't get her to sit down and have, have a meal with me without her. I'll be through in just a minute. Well, what are you doing? I'm praying for somebody on a text. Yeah, I'm sending prayer texts. Okay. I guess they work good. Yeah. How many of you have received them from her? Yeah, see what I mean? They're all over. She sends out prayer texts. Believe in God for you. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone out by companies. 
and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would to God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Wow. Little slave girl says, I wish my master... Apparently they treated her well, and she loved them. She said, I, I wish my master was with... Uh, the prophet that's in Samaria, for he would, he'd fix that thing. He'd fix that leprosy. Here's the second thing you need to learn is that sometimes the most unlikely people have the most important things to say. Sometimes the most unlikely people have the most important things to say. I mean, you come to church expecting the man of God or the woman of God to be ready with a word for you, and that's why I am ready when you come. I don't treat any Sunday like it's a scrimmage game like it's a preseason game, or like it's some, some, something that Romo's going to get hurt in. I, I don't act like this. <laughs> I don't act like our season's over on any Sunday. I act like I'm going to the Super Bowl every Sunday morning. Amen. Because I know you're coming expecting to receive something, but listen to me. As important as what you may receive on a Sunday morning is to you and into, is to your life, and I appreciate your receptivity. But I've got to tell you, sometimes God's going to talk to you through the small voices. Sometimes He's going to have important things to say to you through a voice that you think, what? Yeah. Why did you say that? I've had it happen to me from people that aren't even saved. Say something, and I knew that was God talking to me. How many of you had that experience? You know what I'm talking about. Doesn't negate the big voice on Sunday. Doesn't negate the big voice at other times. But it's just saying that, I'm just saying that there are times when God uses little voices here and there to speak big messages to you. Sometimes it comes through your kids. Like one time I was on the freeway. Uh, it wasn't the freeway. It was the Interstate Highway 20 in West Texas. Anybody ever been out there? You don't, you don't want to stay long, do you? That's what, so in order to not to stay long in West Texas, what do you got to do? Drive fast. Just get out of there as quickly as you can. If you've got to drive across West Texas, you want to do it as quickly as possible. And I was driving it fast one day. I'm not going to say how fast, but fast. Had my family in the car with me, and I hear this tiny little voice, my baby girl, say, Daddy. She was about five or six. She said, Daddy, if you're breaking the speed limit, if you're driving above the speed limit, she said, and there's no police around, is it still against the law? <laughs> kid is no fun at all. I'm telling you, that kid is no fun at all. And I said, no. Mother said, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess it is. So I slowed down. <laughs> I mean, sometimes the most unlikely people have the most important things to say to you. Don't shut out the voice of God when you know it's God talking to you. I'm not saying that every voice is God's voice. It's not. But if you're dealing with something, and then you get a voice that speaks to you confirming that something, I would say that's the day to listen. Verse 4 of chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 4. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is in the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go, 
Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. So he's got a bounty here. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter has come to you, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may recover him of his leprosy. Can you imagine the king getting this letter? What? Syria's <laughs> ah! already proven to them that they can beat them. Remember what it said in the earlier days? That little girl was, uh, was taken in a battle against Israel, and she was taken as a slave. So Syria is the stronger power here, and he sent this letter to the king of Israel, who is subjective to him, who's in subjection to him, and he gets some bad, bad news. You're going to recover my servant from his leprosy. Verse 7, And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? Now here's one of his problems right here. This Israeli king did not realize that God was not in the business of killing people. Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. Now, he just thought it was a political problem. He thought this king was just trying to pick a fight. So you need to understand, here's our next lesson. Men look for political answers to spiritual problems. We see that the king had a spiritual problem. He thought God was his enemy. As well as the Syrian king was his enemy. And God may have not been liking what this bad king was doing, but the point is that he thought God was against him. I have news for you. Just because your life is messed up and just because you've had some things happen that you can't explain does not mean that God is against you. God loves you. He is on your side and He has done everything He can to prove to you how much He loves you and it's found in the story of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. His anger, His anxiety... His dislike of mankind ended at Calvary. If he had any of that, I'm not even sure he ever had that. But, but we look in the Old Testament, it looks like he did from time to time. But it all ended and Christ became the focus of God's attention for you. He's not called the second Adam. I've heard preachers say it so many times through the years. The second Adam. Jesus became the second Adam. Pardon me, that is false. And it's false doctrine is what it is. Cain was the second Adam. Abel was the third one. Seth was the fourth one. And you're about the 16th billionth one. You understand me? Jesus is not the second Adam. He is the last Adam. Which means that God had two views of mankind. He saw us all in the first Adam. He saw him as the first Adam, and he saw us all like that until Jesus came along. And now God's got a whole different view of Adam. He's got a whole different view of man. He's the last Adam, and he sees us all in Christ. So, what the world needs is to hear this message of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And what that says to us is that we now have peace with God. Heaven and earth are no longer at war. Glory to God. How many of you have heard the gospel lately? 
How is it we look around and say, well, then, then why is there so much bad things in the world then? Why are there so many bad things going on in the world if God is no longer angry? See, this is the problem with most, with most theologians. They don't want, want to recognize that there's still a devil in the world. There's still a devil who's already been deemed loser, but the victory must be enforced now by the people of faith. It's not automatic. Not automatic. He's not going to lose if you don't make him lose. He's already lost to Jesus. That means he lost to the last Adam. That means he's lost to every Adam between the first and the last one. If you live by faith and make him lose. Make him eat his loss. Glory to God. But if you say, well, wonder what the Lord's doing. Why is the Lord trying to... Why is the Lord doing this stuff? So you never, you never get on the right team that way. Nope. You think the activities of the devil are coming from heaven somehow. What a sad thought. Yeah. Not knowing who your, who your enemy is. And then you begin to believe that somehow it's people. People are my problem. And the saddest, the saddest fact of war is not that soldiers die by the enemy's hands. To me, the satisfaction of war is that soldiers die by the hands of their own friends, their own army. It's called friendly fire. When we accidentally kill our own people, or if we on purpose kill our own people to, to get at others. It's happened for, before. We try not to do that, but it's happened before. Friendly fire is a terrible thing. It's, a sad, it's probably the satisfaction of war that some men have to die by their, own, by their own army's actions. I've, I have a friend, I have two friends, close friends, who struggle today with the effects of Agent Orange. That's a kind of friendly fire problem. Over there in Vietnam, fighting a war for their country. They thought they were fighting a war for their country. Came back so sick they can't even hardly function because of the effects of a poison that they sprayed to defoliate the jungle so that they could get to the bad guy with what they didn't realize. Maybe they did realize and didn't care. We don't know, but they were liable. And they found out it took them, took them 25 years to prove it, but they finally did prove that these men were really genuinely suffering from the effects of their own military actions. It's a sad thing. But if you don't know who your enemy is, you wind up fighting against yourself and your own hope. I don't know how many people I've known through the years gotten crosswise with their church, get crosswise with their pastor for no reason at all. It's just silliness. Silliness to protect their own image, protect their own, their own lives, protect their, their own way of doing things. One of the reasons why you go to church is to be corrected. If you can't stand correction, church is always going to be a real uncomfortable place for you. If you can't stand correction, church is just not going to be a fun place. But if you have a heart that wants to be corrected, then you love being in church. If you have a heart that's obstinate and you think you're right all the time and you cannot be corrected, you're just going to hate church. You're going to hate it for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter if you're at the top of it or at the bottom of it, you're going to hate it. You can be the pastor. You can be the pastor of the church and not like correction. Because I found out something. Whether I like it or not, we're not really a voting church. We're more biblical, more biblical church than voting church. Can I have a better amen? We're a more biblical church than a voting church. 
the voting churches are, are democratic. That's, a, that's, a, that's an aberration of, of the church that was developed in the United States because we voted on everything else. We thought we'd just vote on our preachers all the time. <laughs> Am I preaching too good or what? <laughs> We're not really a voting church, but I have found out something. That I do listen to the people. I do listen to the people. Because if I don't listen to the people, they'll stop listening to me. Because if they don't have a vote, they still got the vote of their feet. Everybody understand what we're saying here? We're all subject to one another. We all need each other. We all need the, courage, the encouragement and the correction of one another. Glory to God. That's why I tell you, don't just believe everything I say. Get your Bible and prove me wrong. But be ready for a fight when you bring that thing back. Because <laughs> I'm not going to just lie down. I'm not going to let that happen. But I, but I, loved, I loved, to, loved to war with, 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 with anybody over the Word of God to get it right. But you've got to keep your heart right, making sure that you're hearing instruction as you go along. This, 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 uh, this king, he, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know that something good was about to happen here. He was looking for political answers spiritual problems. And here, here's what our government does. Our government gets a problem and they just say, let's throw money at it. Let's just throw some money at that. That'll fix that. And every, every, every five years or every four years, every election cycle, it becomes we need to throw more money at education. More money at education. Let's throw more money at education. More money at education. Listen, I believe every school teacher needs a raise. But I don't, need that, I don't believe that hierarchy over them needs that, that much of a raise. In fact, I think most of them just need to be fired. No government can throw enough money at poverty to end poverty. No government can throw enough money at poverty to end poverty. No, money can, no, no, no kind of people can end slavery. You have to end slavery yourself. You have to end slavery yourself. Ask, ask the American black man. Did slavery end with the Civil War? Or did he have to go to the streets and make it happen himself? A hundred years later. Huh? Did it end with the Civil War? Or did he have to make it happen himself? It didn't end with the Civil War. The, 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 that war didn't fix anything. It made it worse. Made it worse. But when the black man went to the streets, and a little black woman named Rosa Parks said, I'm not riding on the back of the bus anymore! Amen. Made it happen. Your slavery is your own business. You've got to take to the streets. You've got to do something. You've got to make it happen Amen. for yourself. Amen. You've got to tell that devil, I'm not going to live like this anymore. Yes. Take your hands off me. Yes. Come on, somebody shout amen. amen. This is good preaching. Good. Verse 5. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had sent his had rent his clothes, rather, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Oh, 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 oh. He knew there was healing in Israel. He just didn't know there was a man of God in Israel. He knew there was healing. They'd heard the report that there was healing in Israel. But the prophet said, he's going to know there's a voice of God in, the world, in, in, the, in Israel too. He's going to know there's a prophet. He's going to know. See, today, what you would say, what we should say, 
is that, yeah, the world knows it's possible for God to heal. But what they need to know is that there is a church. God's voice is still in the earth. God has an answer for every problem. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, please. Help me in this message. I'm helping you. You help me. Close your eyes for a moment and think about that one thing you wish would change. That you be believed God for change. That you want to change. That one thing in your heart, in your life, in your mind, in your, in your body, whatever it is, in your family. That one thing you want to change. And now say with your mouth, God has an answer for that problem. And today, I believe I receive my answer. And today, I believe I receive my answer. God has an answer for every problem. All right, you can look at me now. God has an answer for every problem. There's nothing that's too big. You know this, it's, it seems elementary, but I want you to hear it personally. Whatever you're dealing with, God has an answer bigger than what you're dealing with. He has answers. I know you've prayed before. Let's stop praying then. Let's start just believing. Stop praying for it and just stand and believe for it. And when you believe for it, the best thing you can do is, if you really believe it, thank Him like you already see it. Thank Him like you already see it. We've talked about this in spit, right? And spit it out. Thank Him. Thank Him. We've been talking about spitting it out, our, our, our series on prayer. If you had, haven't heard these, you need to download them and get them. Because they, if I say so myself, these are really good. These are really good. It'll help you. Help you with your prayer life. But if you tag every, I mean, tag every prayer with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You obligate God because on the ends of a covenant, on both ends of a covenant, one is a giver and the other is a thanker. Then the next time the, the thanker is the giver and the other is the, is the thanker. All right, you understand? And when you give thanks before you receive it, that obligates the one who's giving to give. Yes. Glory to God. Verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Now Elisha, you know, was the guy that poured water over Elijah's hands. That's how he's defined in the Bible. I love that. All the definition he gets is he, he, he poured water over Elijah's hands. Now he has twice as dynamic a ministry, twice the miracles are registered in the Bible of him, of, of Elisha over Elijah. He, he saw so many things, I mean it was amazing all that God used Elisha for, but when they define him, when they describe him, yeah, he's that guy that hung out with Elijah and poured water over his hands. That's like saying Joel Osteen was John Osteen's son. When I talk to young people about John Osteen, they go, who? Yeah. To me, John Osteen was Elijah. And in my estimation, Joel is still just John's boy. But that's not how the world knows him. That's not how the world knows him. The world knows him as America's greatest pastor. And that's what they know him as. The smiling preacher. He's got a, he's got a claim that John never had. But to me, he's always John Osteen's boy. This Elisha... Didn't have to have a name, didn't have to have a, a great reputation. All he had to have was availability to God. So hear what he says, verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. A simple answer as usual. 
I'm thankful for, for a God who loves me enough to talk simply to me. Aren't you, Pastor Everett? I'm glad for a God who knows how to talk simple to this Okie. Because if he got all complex and started quoting Shakespeare to me, I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably say, awkward. <laughs> the answer wasn't complex. The answer was simple. Go wash seven times in the Jordan River. But religion doesn't like that very much. Listen, listen how he responds. Listen how Naaman responds. But Naaman was wroth. That means he was angry and visibly angry. And went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Two words is where his attitude went wrong. The two words were, I thought. I thought. And one of, the, one of the biggest things to bring disappointment into your life is expectation you put on other people. You ought to write that down someplace. One of the biggest opportunities for disappointment you will ever have is the expectations you put on other people. It's awesome. I thought. You thought what, big boy? Go do what he said. No, I, I, I thought there'd be some sort of ceremony. Don't we at least take communion, dang it. <laughs> come out there and wave his hand over me and say some powerful words. He didn't even come out of the tent. Yeah. I came all this way from Damascus <laughs> with this great entourage. Does he know how many tens of thousands of dollars it takes to bring half my army down here ought to kill him? <laughs> huh? Can't believe it. You know he's threatening to kill him because he said he was very angry. Military men, when they get very, when, when, when Naaman was wroth, when a military man of his, of his stature gets angry, he's talking about killing people. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just kill him. Ah, I'm so mad. I thought, you see, the I thoughts of your life, instead of the his thoughts of your life, will always make you make bad decisions. And they make you mad. Hmm. Anybody ever been like Naaman? Hey, come on, be honest. You ever thought, put an expectation on somebody and they didn't live up to your expectation and made you mad? Ooh, I heard that hits home over here, right, right over there. I thought, look at verse 12. Are not Abana and far purred rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went, his way, went away in a rage. Ah, in a rage. Stupid Jew. Prophet. My eye. Washing. Folks often put their own expectations on what they think the Lord should do and how he should do it. You've just entered a realm where your faith is on the line and you're very likely to stop believing right there. It's a good moment to lose everything. It's a good moment to lose your walk. Verse 13, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, would you not have done it? 
I mean, if he'd said, what I need you to do is fast for two weeks. I need you to stand on your head in the corner for two days. I need you to bring me a million dollars. I got a television bill I got to pay. <laughs> I need you to do big stuff for me. Buy me a jet. He said, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean. This is a, a wonderful moment for the, for the diametric messages of law and grace. Men love a challenge. That's why they seem to love it, legalistic preaching. If a preacher stands and makes it difficult for people to go to heaven, it seems like they just love that. Is it quiet in here or is it just me? But to just say, be clean, wash and be clean. Go in peace. Wow. How gracious is that? How easy is that? The problem with the gospel is it's just too easy for religion to like it. Thank the Lord for people who love you enough to tell you the truth. I, I remember, not only did this little servant girl speak to this guy, now his own servants, his own soldiers speak to him. And I thank the Lord for people who, who love you enough, don't you? Who love you enough to tell you the truth and aren't afraid of you, to tell you the truth. That's why Miss Ann and I have most often, most, uh, most of the time, had our children close to us. We've had our children on staff. When they, when they didn't work for themselves, and people grow up and need to go do their own thing. We've got a couple right here who've grown up and need to go do their own thing. We're going to send them out with blessing today. Amen? Amen. It, it, it happens. I don't like it, but, but I know it's God. We've always had our children close to us. They grew up and they needed to go do their own thing, so we blessed them and sent them off. But while we had them with us, one of the things we like about having our kids with us is they always told us the truth. They were never afraid of getting fired. <laughs> and they would say the meanest things. They would say, they would say the straightest things. Yeah, I'm, they'd be so honest. And I'd look at Eric and say, why did I ever hire you? If I wanted the truth, I'd have just asked your mama. He would just say the truth. My daughter just tells me the truth. And they still do it. Dad, you ought to be down there, down there. Oh, I don't want to do that. You need to do that. They don't plead with me and beg with me. Oh, Dr. Holler, what do you think about this? No, that's not how they approach me. Doctor is never in the equation at all. Thank the Lord for people who love you enough to tell you the truth. Yeah. Now verse 14. Then went he down. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, likened to the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. 
I don't know how many times you tried to turn over a new leaf or how many, how many New Year's resolutions you went through when you're trying to straighten up your life and then they were all fell flat. But I thank God that on the day that I said, Jesus, come into my life. I believe, you. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe, I believe, I believe in you. That day when I put my faith in Jesus, that I got clean again. I got clean completely. I got clean to the marrow of my bones. My inner man became a new man, praise God. The old man, the old things passed away and everything else became new. I tried it on my own. I tried to quit smoking, tried to quit drinking, tried to quit all of those stuff that I thought was really particularly evil. But when faith came alive on the inside, everything changed and I became clean, praise God. Just believe in the Word of God. God has in mind complete restoration. Did you notice it was complete? He said that he didn't get the flesh of an old man. He didn't get the flesh of a man of his age. He got a baby's, a child's flesh. God has in mind complete restoration. Even what the normal years of aging and sun and wind had done to his skin, even that went away as God always has in mind complete restoration. We get too satisfied with mediocre we just get satisfied with mediocre because we get mediocre service most of the time. So we just get used to it. Like the guy took his car to the, to the mechanic, he went and picked it up. Mechanic said, I couldn't fix your brakes, so I made your horn louder. <laughs> we just get satisfied with mediocre. But God has in mind complete, come on, say complete restoration. Say complete restoration three times. Complete restoration. Complete restoration. Complete restoration. Verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. Strap yourself in for what I'm about to say. The first response of a changed heart is to be generous. The first response of a changed heart is to be generous. It's a good thing. Because what happens to you is you realize how little the things of this life really mean. How unimportant it is. As expensive as surgeons and doctors are, weighed against you living or dying, they're really kind of cheap, aren't they? They work for nothing. Because my, my life is worth more than all the money I have. Amen. When you weigh it against what you're losing or what you're gaining, when you talk about eternal salvation, there's nothing in this world that's worthy of it. This guy realized that right on, right on the spot, that there is no God anywhere but the God of Israel, and that being healed and having his health back was worth whatever he could give. The first response of a changed heart is to be generous. If you've ever been sick, you know how precious your health is. Verse 16, listen to this. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Now why the man of God refused it? Because he wanted this to be solid. He wanted this to be solid that no man buys what God... Ooh. 
what God provides. It would be really easy to misunderstand what goes on there if the man of God had taken this. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. He always took offerings from God's own people. But he refused to take this offering from this alien. This is a gift of the grace of God to the alien. Amen. If you're visiting with us today and we received an offering early and you didn't come and put money in the offering, that's all right with us. We expect our family members to come forward and put money in the offering, but that's not even obligated. That's not obligatory at all. We just expect that it's going to happen because of their changed hearts. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, the greatest invitation this church or any church can offer anybody is to come to know Him because He knows you already. He knows all about you already and He loves you just like you are. That's why He brought you here today. He brought you here to bring you into His family. He didn't bring you here just to hear this preacher or to experience this worship or to see what we do here. He brought you here to bring you into His family because He wants you in His family forever. God made up his mind a long time ago that he really loves you. Amen. All you got to do is make up your mind that you love him now. Verse 17, And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. Now listen to this. I want you to hear this, verse 18, very clearly what's happening here. We get a picture of the New Testament. We get a picture of the grace of God here in this verse 18. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goes into the house of Rimmon, the false god, to worship there, he's talking about his king back in Damascus, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant for this thing. How many of you know that that is bowing to a false god. And the action of bowing all by itself is defined as worship. No matter what's going on in the heart, the, the body posture of bowing is considered worship. And he's saying, I'm going to go into the house of the false god, and I'm going to bow myself with my master in the house of Rimmon, a false god. Now in my heart... I know he's not God, but I'll have to bow myself in the house of Rimmon with my, with my master. And he said, I'm asking for God's pardon before I do it. Who ever heard of a God who forgave sins before we did them? Mm. Ah. That's why we know what Paul meant when he said, Peace from God our Father. Because Jesus hung on a cross 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago before any of us here were born. And he forgave all of our sins before we committed them. Yeah. Right. Glory to God. And look at the answer of the prophet. And he said to him, go in peace. And he departed from him a little way. That goes all over me. The gospel of peace provided forgiveness before the sin was ever committed.
Lessons from a leper. I wonder what you can learn from a good preacher. The lessons of a leper teaches powerful thoughts, powerful things. One thing is that we're all in this together. No matter the great, no matter the small, no matter the race, creed, or color, we're all the same in the eyes of God and loved by a God who did everything he could to remove the obstacles.